Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. G'day, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Investing, finding a better deal, crypto, and CDR. There's only one guy who can talk about all of these things, sometimes in the one sentence, Fred Shabesta. G'day, Fred. How are you going, Phil? Really Thank- good, really good. Hope you're enjoying the coffee over there. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Phil makes a cracker of a coffee. So Fred's the CEO and co-founder of Comparison Site Finder. Is that the best description, Comparison Site? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. We've just been chatting about what we're going to chat about today because we didn't really prepare too much about this. So we're going to talk about um, personal investments and the journey that uh, Fred's on in this. But um, I just wanted to quickly cover about how the world has changed. It's a great topic, Phil. We're not talking about just a little change. I think we're talking about a fundamental systemic change. I didn't think I was aware of that until I visually saw it in the city where there's just, you know, shops being closed down. There's no one there. It's a very unusual place. You go to a restaurant right now and, you know, you have to sit awkwardly and there's less people. And one night we had a a guy with a high-vis vest walking around the tables. Mm. It doesn't exactly fill you with confidence. but And then I think there's an acceptance, but right, there's a certain point where you get to where... Now, I think I've gotten myself to the place where I have accepted this and this is just how it is. So, from an investing perspective, taking that, you know, a step further, what does that mean? Well, you know, companies like DocuSign, companies like this video conferencing, instant messaging, they're kind of like, to me, the obvious step ones. Um, I, I read this piece on Benjamin Graham, and Graham, you know, pricing and timing. It's all about pricing and timing, right? Mm-hmm. So t- this one's about timing. I think the trend of offices and, you know, commercial property, yeah, I think that's going to take a 20-year, 15, yeah, maybe 20 years to reverse. The trend was just up and to the right and it was getting out of control. The only issue is on the other side is you've got such low interest rates but then you won't have the, the same kind of demand. I think what it might op- open up is with a decrease in uh, property value, it may mean that commercial will turn into residential and people will start to live in the city. I know that sounds completely counterintuitive because everyone wants to, you know, saying, I want to move out of the city. But I think there are, like, I just think there are people who go, will get over it. There'll be a vaccine and people want to live there. But the, but everyone doesn't want to necessarily go and hang out together because now they've moved out and they're going to virtually interact anyway and you're working from home. The second part of that is retail. So there's just a beauty in going out and, you know, going to a restaurant and, and, and dining and, and humans are always going to be social. It's just, it just is what it is. I think that'll reboot. But retail has learned from this click and collect and buy online. So you want to walk by and get something from somewhere, you're going to go. And, and I think that's this adaption. You're going to see, yeah, retail, everyone's like, you know, retail's going to, I don't think retail's ever going to die. People need to buy stuff. That's never going to end. It's just the format. And the channel I think will be is that stores 
will convert into places of logistics and distribution where you go there and you pick up stuff because you've already ordered it, but it's very conveniently placed to where you live or the route you go on. And so you choose that location. So they keep the real estate there, but it's more a logistics thing rather than a consumer exploratory thing. You may have prop-up stores as well, like like one, one or two. That's another trend I'm noticing. You mentioned Benjamin Graham before. Um, he was one of Warren Buffett's lecturers, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. What's some of the stuff that you've got? You get from Benjamin Graham's philosophy. Uh, you know, when it comes to, I guess, investing, I I didn't really understand. Like, I used to buy. Sh- I've always bought stocks ever since mm-hmm. I was a kid. You know, yeah. my my dad gave me some Western Mining Corporation and some, I think it was Westpac shares, and I held on to them for you know, and then I sold them to Telstra. And I, I did some Australian investing. And now I invest in the U.S. market. So I buy from both both countries, but I never really understood exactly what is my investment strategy. And what I mean by that is I kind of, I feel I just got lucky. I chose some companies I liked. I held on for a long period of time. And that's not really an investment strategy, but that's just like buy and hold, which is okay. But it's not like, well, which company now are you going to buy and hold and why? And for what term or period, right? Yeah. And what I took from Benjamin Graham, so I've, I started that, What's the book? The it's it's um, the intelligent investor. I feel like it's almost like you could take three pages and write an entire book about three pages and then go again. But there's one part in particular. You know, the classic one is you know the stock market's a weighing machine, not a voting machine. Yet yeah, get that. But the next question I think is okay. So you're you found a company that you want to hold on to. In other words, you you're up for the. You think it's something you want to lean into it weighing more in the future. Great. So now what? Do you buy today? When do you exit? So those questions are a little bit more challenging. So what I'm talking about there is timing and pricing. Now, obviously the coronavirus, which is kind of strange, gave us a great opportunity for timing and pricing with the big dip. And so then with the weighing machine, you could choose to go really after that. I don't think we could predict what's happened now where this disconnection of it's almost like the stock market's disconnected from reality from the the real economy isn't it yeah totally yep. gone but that that's to do with central bank support isn't it totally yeah the fed pumping don't fight the fed don't fight the fed mm-hmm. you know and they're buying corporate bonds which is unheard of i you know i could imagine they're going to start if they directly start buying stocks i could imagine that happen but it's basically buying corporate bonds is fueling share buybacks it's just it's sending the whole share price through the roof right it's 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 a and then because people are getting money from the government then they're using that basically to gamble again gamble well i suppose you could speculate speculate there yes. we are thank <laughs> you and that's pumping the prices again. And now you've got these pump and dump groups started up. You've got the whole stonks and Reddit groups and those kind of things. And all of that is great from the perspective of it's fun to do. But the actual impact... So I, I just give context on this. So I went through and went really, really far down the rabbit hole in about 2017 in the whole cryptocurrency space. And cryptocurrency is a much smaller space than stocks, but it it's 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 got that same issues right it was unregulated um there were pump and dump groups you know people would would create coins list them pump them in groups price would fly up and then they would dump them and then it would never be a thing and there was no very technology behind it it was just a, a literally a white paper and a website so so pump and dump is when uh people want to sell something and so that they, they pump up the price of it yep. 
so that they can take advantage of um, more uh, naive investors to sell to them as the as the price is going up. Right. Yeah. So the greater fool theory. If you mm-hmm. have someone who's a greater fool than you that you can sell it to, then good on you um, in some way. But that, I saw that, and it, and it hurt a lot of people, cryptocurrency. Yeah, right? but that happens in stocks as well. That's, right. And it's really happening a lot as well. I'm just saying this just as a warning for listeners that 100%. this is something to watch out on. But I think, I guess, I, I, and I, I echo your sentiment, I just feel that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, people, you know, and, and so, so going back, I think, to answer your question through that experience of cryptocurrency and all those kind of things. And, you know, I, you know, I made some money, I lost some money, you know, through that, but I saw the entire experience of the market play out in a much shorter time frame. And right now what's happening is you, I think you've got this extreme exuberance. I think the U S market pulled back quite a bit last night, but extreme exuberance upon exuberance upon exuberance fueled by all these kind of things. So from a timing and pricing perspective, You've got a complete disconnection from reality. And then you've got a new... That's a different world that you need to deal with. And eventually that'll stop and eventually it'll pull back and reconnect. Well, maybe it, may, maybe it will, maybe it won't. That's a different question in and of itself. Where is the stock market now a proxy for economic wealth by, for the government to hand out money to people? That's a very unusual equation, never seen before. Maybe we're moving to that world. But what I'm trying to submit is... My, I, I don't like to. I don't enjoy getting involved with that. I find it difficult. And what I learned is the difference between again with Benjamin Graham is: Are you? I don't know if this is part of it, but it's: Are you trading? Or are you investing? Mm, that's so important to delineate that, isn't it? And decide exactly what you're doing. And cryptocurrency taught me that in a vicious way because it's so fast. And what I what I worked out for me, and this is not financial advice in any way but this is just my interpretation investing to me was something i was going to buy and hold because i believed in the weighing machine and where it was going to go and normally it's i've actually performed better probably in backing founders that's kind of my approach i'm I'm realizing because i can i'm a founder when i meet a founder who's a really good founder i'll hang out with them i go wow you're a really good founder i'm going to back you and i don't really really mind what the stock's doing. I'm not even looking at the price. I'm putting putting my money on you because I back you. And I found that literally cuts through a lot of noise and I've just found that tends to work quite well. And if you look at, I think a lot of stocks, founder-led businesses tend to perform, I think statistically, much better than non-founder-led businesses, right? So that's from an investment thesis. I've, I've thought about that. And then it's not really the price and the time for me is less important then. It's just... Here's my commitment, and I'm, I'm I just sort of put it away, and I kind of trying to do that from a from a practical perspective. I use different trading accounts, so one is like a trading account where I'm gonna this money and I put this aside, and it's I'm gonna buy, and this is my exit position. Here's my stop, and then I'm gonna get out, mm. um, and that's just it is what it so is. So you have a trading plan for those Correct. particular. Yeah, I enter with this. This is my exit. This is my mm-hmm. stop, and if I lose money. I lost money. That was my trade. Mm-hmm. If I made money, great. But I'm not jumping back in immediately to try and get the next up. And I've missed something because I didn't. I wasn't investing. Mm. You know, and I've I've done trades where afterwards the stock went up 10x, and I was like, wow, I missed that. But that wasn't my. I wasn't investing. And there are other ones. You I've, had a trading plan. I had a trade. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to get out at a certain price, whether it's above or below your entry price. And that was it. That's it. Yep. 
you know, I hold it for one, two weeks. That was my trade and that's it. And other times I've, I've bought, sold, it's gone down dramatically. I walked, I, I was like, great, but I don't look back because that was a trade. And, and, and that's important, right, from, a, from that perspective. I read this article just about that pricing and timing, you know, when's the time, when do you want, what is the timing? And you obviously want to try and get the price as low as possible, assuming you're investing and then, you know, you're rebalancing your portfolio, kicking out losers and keeping on to winners. And then I, I guess I'm normally looking for sort of a five to 10 year investment. You know, I'll hold stocks and just let it tick over and I don't have time to 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 every day go into absolute detail. So this is your the investment part of your portfolio. Yep. And are you doing any fundamental analysis to work out what you're going to invest in, or is it still based on belief in a founder? Another great question. And again, another thing I've been on a self discovery mission and made mistakes on. You know, I I and it's very, it's public knowledge. I bought a lot of stocks. I, I bought a big um, percentage of. I think it was about 14% of a small bank that was listed and it dropped 70% in value. I lost a lot of money from that, but I learned a lot from that. But the conviction I had around the actual business and the thesis, so that's going back to, again, what am I investing in? I think that's your question. What are the themes I go after? I tend to stick with things I know. And I think I thought I knew about banks because, you know, how they worked and operated. And I was pitched this business in terms of it becoming a certain thing, which is a digital bank. And that's not what their intention actually was. They're, that's not what their business was. And so I found this out. And after a while, I realized that's not the alignment we have. And so I had to exit the position. It didn't, didn't work out terribly well for me. But I learned a lot from that. And again, so that then that mistake, and, and it hurt a lot. Very, I was very anxious about that for a long period of time. You know, you go, and I feel in investing, you go into these dark periods where you're like, oh, I feel like so anxious about this and, you know, and you carry this around. And then, It's emotional. It's a very emotional oh, sport as well, isn't and, it? And you have to. Yeah. And then I, I was like, then I was scared to make any new investments. I was like, oh, I'm going to lose again. And then I drew the line in the sand and I said, look, yeah, you lost. That doesn't mean, look at the future. Draw a line in the sand, step over it, start again. And so I started again small, slowly, slowly building up my portfolio and started again, you know, get, get some cash together, get some free cash flow, you know, as best I possibly can. The themes I realized it's something that I'm interested in. I didn't realize this. It took me a while to figure this out. Like, what am I investing in? That's another key question. My kind of thesis, and this is just my personal one, is I tend to stick with things I know. So what do I know? Well, I know about internet businesses. I know about founder-led businesses. I know about marketplaces and e-commerce and the importance of certain technologies inside internet companies and what companies are going to grow on the internet and what technologies we use and why we use them and how sticky they are and, and things like that. So trending things like that. And then there are other areas where I see a business which fits into a certain theme and I've always tried to hit, this is one of my themes is I like to invest in picks and shovels. So I don't invest in the headline trend of the business. I try and find the business underneath that's actually f- providing the picks and the shovels for the whatever, whatever is the, um, the trend is. So as an example, in, in a simple way, um, I, there's a company called Betmakers. And there's a big trend right now to gambling during coronavirus. People are at home, um, smoking's gone up, 
alcohol's gone up and gambling's gone up because everyone's bored. And this company called Betmaker, so BET, it provides, it's on the ASX, it's probably listed, all this stuff is public, you know, um, again, no fun- this is yep. not financial advice. This is not financial advice, don't um, buy it on the basis of yeah, anything do here. Not, yep. Do not buy this on my recommendation, <laughs> this is not my, this is just my opinion, personal opinion. Um, but I'm just trying to talk about it, my thesis here is they provide the betting odds and technology to the betting companies. So betting is going up. But their technology, which is inside this company, is a great company because they're going to get recurring revenues and they're going to get paid either which way. And so more betting companies may start up, so they'll have more business. And so they're definitely going to get their bills paid. And so their their growth plan, their business plan to me is very fundamental and strong. And they're very leveraged to the US market, which is just unregulated sports betting. That's taking a while. But again, great trend. But I'm not investing in like, you know, points bet or the DraftKings, which that's the headline. I like the one below it and going for the picks and the shovels that's going to support the trend. ShareSite is an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSite is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Save four months on an annual premium plan. Go to sharesite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. That's sharesite.com slash shares for beginners. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Just getting back to the question about fundamental analysis, are you actually looking at balance sheets and cash flows as well when you're thinking about investing or are you just looking at the trend? So I do. I, I don't think I am a great an analyst unfortunately mm-hmm. like i i just never like i i can read balance sheets i can read pnls obviously and i can you know i'm just that's not i'm not an analyst but i, I read out analyst reports and i can interpret it mm. i had a, i did a finance degree actually I, I did a finance degree at university would you believe a lot of people think you know i'm, I'm a technologist i'm a marketer i'm a promoter but actually underneath all of that i actually am a finance you know, I have a finance bent to myself, which is unusual in and of itself, but I find fascinating, right? I, I will sit there and read a whole annual report. I love getting into the numbers, but I couldn't, I don't think I will make a discount of, you know, cash flow or a forecast or a yeah, fundamental value analysis of the company. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't have the time nor it's just not my natural passion. I'll more look at it and say, okay, how's this company operating? What stage of growth is that? Can it continue on? I look at the, I back the people, the trends that I see. So then again, I have obviously my own data with Finder and we look at what's moving or categories are changing and then I'll make investments from there. Mm. Is that data available on Finder for everyone? So we publish statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to our statistics section. Oh, really? I, I didn't notice it. I haven't seen that on the website. Something probably we should probably publicize better. Yeah, yeah I think um, so. That sounds fascinating information. A lot of retail trends. It's just a lot of very good information, which I think informs you of where things are at. And then you can make very interesting inferences from there mm. and extrapolations, I believe. 
Yeah. Okay. We'll put a link to that in the um, the blog post and the episode notes, just to so people can go and see those statistics. And the other side of it is price action, isn't it? As well, when to buy? You were referring to that before. And Benjamin Graham, I think another one of his great quotes is, um, "Mr. Market is a drunken psychopath that knocks on your door every day and offers some money for your house." <laughs> That's good. I haven't heard that one before. It's hard not to look at price. It's an emotional thing. And I learned from crypto the full gamut of emotions and how great traders are who deal with that. And I met really good traders and I watched how they operate and they are calm. When the price is flying, they offload. They offload. When they see extreme exuberance, they offload. Or the even better ones, they go, well, actually, it's flying, but it's going to go even higher and they can ride that. And when it doesn't, they stop out. When they make a loss, they stop out. And when that goes down dramatically, they stop out. They have their... And I, another quick story on that. I was down on the stock exchange floor in March um, in New York um, on the NYSE. I was doing a tour, you know, maybe find them one day, might list on the stock exchange. So, you know, I wanted to understand what it, the process would be like. I want to see the exchange. You know, we're getting for a tour. And I, so I went up and spoke to one of the traders. And I said, you know, well, how do you trade? And he said, well... And you can imagine day in, day out, he's on the floor and the exuberance and the intensity, right? And he showed me his screen. He said, well, these are the ones I'm trading. And these are the ones, I call them the mum and pop stocks. Mum and pop stocks. And when I see a big dip, I buy more of them and I just hold them. So, you know, they were Disney and Ford and Google and Amazon and, you know. Mm. And I was like, and he just went, whatever the price is today, set a big limit order down low if it really dips down you pick them up low and then you just keep adding to your portfolio over time and i looked at it and i was like this is actually what happened and i saw his stocks i was like disney i was like oh, i suppose he's not going anywhere and then when the coronavirus happened i literally just i i literally saw his face and i remember seeing his screen with disney and i was like and i literally just went on and i bought some disney stock and that's performed quite well you know afterwards but i had such strong conviction behind that because of, I guess, yeah, I'm going off a trader on the floor of the stock exchange, but I thought, what's his portfolio mm. of investments? He's probably seen a lot. And, you know, I went from there. And I, I guess a trend with Disney is that they've got their own channel now as well. They're taking on the streaming services. And, um, yeah, that's something you could lock into. I think their parks will come back online. I think you got to, you know, I see Disney as a content platform with a massive merchandising engine built on the top of it. Super profitable. I'd say 2017, I walked into the Disney shop in um, New York for the first time. I just didn't realize there was an entire store of basically all the things you buy when you go and watch a movie. That was the entire shop. You know, they probably all cost the yeah. all the merch. Mm-hmm. It, the whole shop was a, was merch. And, and if you think about that, remove the emotion. If you can sell a stuffed toy for $59 and it costs you nine cents and it's literally a stuffed toy, but it's worth, you know, that's huge margin. And that equity and feelings that people associate as a kid and the then their children and et cetera, et cetera, that keeps passing on. That's that platform. That's that business. That's going to take a long time to... They're really good at it as well. And and that's going to take a long time. I think that's something you can invest behind. So, Fred, tell me about crypto. 
Can you explain it simply how it works? I, I try and sort of stay away from there's you can go down a, there's certain rabbit holes you can go down with cryptocurrency and from my journey and I've been all the way I've written smart contracts I've bought I've done ICOs I've done you know the lot I have a very simple thesis now in its absolute core it's it's a representation of value that's not printed by a central bank I have eventually gone full circle so normally what happens with cryptocurrency you start off you get into bitcoin and then you go on this journey of all these other coins and then eventually you always come back to bitcoin and that, that's what happens and why is that well bitcoin is a phenomena now which i don't think human the human race and like just humanity has realized the eternal difference it's made to the earth it's not going away Everyone's called it dead so many times. I think it's nine. It's gone. It's it's sitting around nine thousand six hundred US dollars right now. Nine thousand six hundred US. That's a you know a significant amount of money. And the best way I can explain this is yes, it's you can't grab it or touch it or hold it. But if you look at your bank account these days, and particularly with the coronavirus, again, this is one of those ones where adoption curve I think has been fast forwarded. Do you want to hold that in cash right now, in physical cash? I think you feel everyone feels a bit of fear about holding actual physical cash right now. And ATM usage has gone down as well. So this idea that your money is just some digits that sits in your internet bank, I think is just absolutely going to be normal. The newest generation, it's like, I've, I've, I've noticed they don't own stocks, they own cryptocurrency and they're perfectly comfortable with it moving 10% either which way in a day. And if it doesn't move, they're bored. It's like the, the coin's dead. Fascinating, right? And that's an interesting conditioning. Also fascinating because people are starting to get involved and aware about value and movements and stocks and trades from such an early age because of the beauty of cryptocurrency. I think it's, I think it's in the most incredible educational tool and so I just want to put that to the side. Why I think it's a great benefit to, to, to society. But in its core, the thesis, and, and this is the story, and every currency actually has a story. So we have a story today that the, if, if, if I go and get $100 and I give it to someone, that the government will back me up. There's actually no nothing it will back you up with. It's just that's the story we believe. It's their vibe. That's their vibe. Mm. In the same way, Bitcoin, people say, oh, well, there's nothing to back it up. Well, that's true. But let's get into the detail. What we're talking about with Bitcoin, I believe it's not currency. It's what I believe is money. Now, money and currency are two different things. Money to me is something which has value in and of itself. It's like gold. Gold has a limited supply and it has value. And when our currency was connected to gold, then our currency was maybe more like money. But now, and you know, everyone knows this, and it's openly said, and everyone's somehow fine with it, central banks print currency. You go back in time uh, in the Roman Empire when the gold coin was first used as the currency of the Roman Empire. It was pretty much 100% gold. At the end of the Roman Empire, it was 3% gold. The rest was other sorts of metals and it weighed in a similar way. The Roman Empire essentially stole that value from its people and made armies and conquered. Yeah, fought wars and conquered lands. Right. Yeah. And so our government's doing the same thing with its currency. Every currency will start with zero value and end with no value. 
every single one on the earth. That is what a currency does. It's there is if I got the Roman currency right now, unless it's, it could be boiled down into gold, you will not accept my currency. It's worth zero dollars. And every currency we know today will have the same thing. Whereas gold, on the other hand, only has a fixed amount of supply. The same thing you've got to understand is Bitcoin only has a fixed amount of supply. It has 21 million Bitcoin. That's all that the code will ever print. I think about 18.9 million Bitcoin have been printed and it's an exponentially decreasing rate of Bitcoin that's being released. And the reason why Bitcoin's price right now so comes so stable is because there's been a halvening. What does a halvening mean? About every four years, half the amount of Bitcoin gets um, printed every 10 minutes. So it went from 25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes to 12 and a half Bitcoin. And so the price right now is stabilized. Why is that? Well, the supply every 10 minutes was 25. Now it's 12 and a half. That's half the supply. I think they've worked it out to about $6 billion less of Bitcoin being printed every year. That's a significant impact on, a, on, a, on an asset, which is basically worth 175 million market cap. So in the same way, what you've got um, happening, and, and this has been seen, there are funds that you know, have Bitcoin. They keep buying Bitcoin every month. The funds are buying more Bitcoin now than is being printed. So it's stabilizing price. Miners have to sell their Bitcoin, but the price has become very stable. I tell this story, and this is just, if, if I can, it's, it'll, it'll explain very clearly what I mean by, so Bitcoin in and of itself is not going to die. There's too many nodes. There's too many miners protecting it. I think it has six or seven exo hashes of protection. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly protected network. I think there's more energy being used than Estonia. It's, it's, you know, this is something... This is for mining Bitcoin, isn't it? And keeping it, it protected, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Keeping the network safe. Yep. There's actually a satellite that's been launched to mine to keep Bitcoin safe. So if the earth goes weird, it'll still work in space. Um, that's the level. But here's, here's the thing. It's 2020 right now. If I got a, let's say, $100,000 of Australian dollars and 100000 US dollars and I put them in the ground, I got a $100,000... 100,000 US or Australian dollars of gold and I put them in the ground and I got $100,000 of Bitcoin on a, um, a ledger and I put that in the ground because, you know, you only need the keys. It's not, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's on the blockchain. It's safe. And we waited, let's say, 500 years. It's the year 2520. And then we dug up that uh, currency, gold and Bitcoin what do you think will have value? My contention would be that the cash, the Australian dollar and the US dollar would be worth, as probably it's going to cost you $100,000 to buy a cup of coffee probably. The gold would have appreciated in value. It's been proven all throughout history, 5,000 years of gold. And the Bitcoin as well will also have appreciated in value because there's a limited supply and everyone wants to store their value in some way. And just to give you a quick anecdote on the side, in the Cayman Islands right now, apparently all the vaults are filling up with as many Bitcoin ledgers as there are bars of gold. It's the same kind of thing. So one of the other big changes is that banking is now changing. I think it's only this month that new rules have come in and you're very active in the CDR space. What is CDR? Tell us about it. So I think... CDR is one of the biggest changes and what CDR is the consumer data rights. In other words, you have the right to your data, your transaction data that you create and you're able to... With a financial institution, especially in this case. And eventually insurance companies, telcos and energy companies, 
uh, in Australia, superannuation companies, and you're you have the right. That's an important word to access that data and to share it with other third parties, normally, you know, software companies. And that's what Finder, we've built an app around that does this, right? So it analyzes your bank transactions and helps you, you know, compare things automatically, which is kind of cool, right? I think it's the biggest thing since internet banking in finance. It's, it's, this is massive. This is where, you know, we talked about the disintermediation of banks, you know, there's stockbroking companies, there are little mortgage lenders, there are little, you know, even debit card providers, there are superannuation companies, all sort of, whereas the, the bank used to intermediate and have all of that in one place. What open banking to me will enable and what creates is not even just the disintermediation of those products, but actually the obfuscation and commoditization of them. Now, what do I, that's a, that's a big they're big words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? I mean, in the future, I see a world, I imagine a world where, you know, and I'm, there might be a, an app that talks to your banks and you get a notification on your, on your phone and it says, hey, you could switch to this mortgage provider. You tap a few buttons, you do a, you do a quick, you know, um, ID check. And within three minutes, you've just suddenly saved two grand off your mortgage every year. That's the world I think we're going to. It's I'm going to go and pay for this product, but just before you do, hey, which I'm going to put this on this credit card or this debit card, or I'm going to get you a, a loan with this company because it's going to be the cheaper way to do it because the algorithms figured it out, and you're probably you're going to earn more frequent flyer points this way, or, or you've already you know you're going to reduce your debt and not have to pay it as fast by putting it here, here, and here, and doing it like this. That's a massive threat, I guess to the way we've been doing things in the past, but it's just the most incredibly empowering thing for consumers that you'll be able to uh, ask someone other than your you know, bank or insurance company or almost, I guess, financial advisor and say, hey, what should I do? What deal should I go for? Or you know, what strategy should I employ with my mortgage? Or should I pay my debt or should I save more money? Or should I invest in stocks or should I, you know... Um, not <laughs> yeah pay off their mortgage instead or pay off the credit cards yeah whatever all, all kinds of financial decisions like the whole of view of your whole financial situation and not from a bank or a insurance company or a wealth advisor who has an incentive to doesn't really look at the whole picture because they don't want you to move because you know otherwise you're not a customer anymore and so i see this like you know when you get in an uber like do you care what kind of car it is not really you know, what we're trying to do is be that Uber, that service over the top of other services that, and that's what this app's intended to be. And that's what CDR allows and provides um, with open banking and the cables inside the company, inside the banks and insurance companies and super companies is be that service that you can manage this whole thing. And it's something I'm extraordinarily passionate about. So passionate about that I've put personally millions of my own money into it to build something like this because I think it'll help people a lot. Okay, let's just go back to investing just for a moment. You've got a, you've got a very much a world view of what's going on. Someone who's like in their 20s now, they've got a job, they're paying the rent, they don't have a lot of extra cash. What was, what would you suggest to them? I know that you're big on passive income and building up passive income. Um, what would you suggest to that person taking their first investing steps? So... 
you know, step one, I think, start small. Take $1,000, take $500 and just, you know, again, not, this is not financial advice, but I don't know how to frame this without... <laughs> if I was 20 years old, this is what I would do personally for myself going back in time. Mm. Uh, don't take my advice, you know, just <laughs> really clear on that. Yeah. But, you know, I'd get $500 as best I possibly could. And I think actually everyone has a lot of savings right now. I think there's some data out around that as well. People have just saved more because they're not going out, just at home. So you're earning money, you're working hard. People are working American harder. And find a, a company or a stock and just invest in that that you feel comfortable with, right? And just get that feeling. Oh, and then you get used to the price moving. You get used to what does this mean? You get used to analyzing it and you start to track it. The next thing I would do is get really clear on your expenses. So go through every single expense you have in your bank account. And you know, obviously, that's where open banking and the CDR thing comes in. And I love going through my transactions. What am I spending money on? What could I cut back on? And start, so your, your actual first step is to invest in yourself, right? So how can I just not spend as much money or spend a little less and start to save a little more? And that's an investment in and of itself. Then I think you've got to look at these two, two sides of it. One is this passive investment or stocks, whether it's stocks or you like property, you can buy property, real trust and things like that as well. So that, that that's all similar. I personally like stocks and as a 20-year-old, you look at a big graph, stock market tends to outperform real estate. That's not to say that there are people who've made a lot of money out of real estate, don't get me wrong, but just the size of capital that you have to put and the work in doing it and the liquidity you get from having it in the stock market's faster. So I, I was, when I was 20 years old, I, that's where I sort of put my money. So the question is now, okay, what I'd try and do is literally try and save as much as humanly possible of your money and invest it into that. So you can you can manage the bottom line and that's one part. The second part is as a 20-year-old and I, when I was 20, I was living in, you know, going to university. I was a curious person and I started building websites and started coding them and I went around to my neighbor's house and he asked me to just build him his website. And I was like, sure, I'd love to do that. He said, how much are you going to charge me? And I was like, wow, that's incredible. I'm going to make money from doing something I love. And I think that was probably one of the greatest gifts anyone's given me. And I'm very grateful to him. And I still talk to him today. Um, he's a great guy. You know, people call this, I think you talked about this a bit, Phil, is this side hustle or um, whatever have you. I think that's what you need to do. And what I think the best place to start that, and I didn't have a job at the time. I was, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not a very good employee, unfortunately. I had a job for a while and then I just decided I didn't want to go anymore and I just stopped going, which is kind of weird. And so what I realized is I need to believe and I need to love to do this. And if I, you close your eyes and think, okay, next week I'm going to die. Imagine that. You start, start from there and you think about the things that you're going to do if one of those things that you were going to do, you were going to get paid for, make that your side hustle because then you're not, you know, it's fun. It's fun to do side hustles, but then the ones that are just arduous and you're just not really into it, you're like, oh, it's great for the money. Cool. That's a trade to my mind. Mm. But an investment of a side hustle is like, I love to do this. I do it if I not get paid for it and you're going to get paid for it. Awesome. And that's a place where I think you'd start you want to start building up your free cash flow. So that's the top line. 
I think Finder was a side hustle. Yeah. It was, we, we had a web, you know, I built that, you know, those web design businesses into an agency and we were like, hey, why don't we just build some of our own little websites on the side and see if we can yeah. make some money. You mm. know what I mean? I think it was called Credit Card Finder in the beginning. It made like 80, 100 bucks, $120 a month and it just ticked away. You know, mm. it was nice. We added little bits and pieces to it and we just kept yeah. it there. And then when we sold the business, we came in and went full time into it and that's really where it started. Another Resource I thought it could be interesting. Um, Warren Buffett read a book when he was a young kid called A Thousand Ways to Make a Thousand Dollars. I actually bought that book the other day. Yeah. And it's an inc- it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's like, here's a business model mm. and here's what it does. And you're like, oh yeah. Like one of them's, uh, it just tells you the story of like JC Penny and, um, and it's like, oh, that's why, you know, um, one was a chocolate. Like, what do, what chocolates do people like? Well, they like caramel, peanuts, and ch- covered in chocolate. That's what people like. And it's like, that's true. That is what people like. And so now I understand why he probably bought C's Candy. Mm, mm. He, he probably read the book and went, well, this, is a, this, this shop makes these kinds of candies and it's got a brand. I'm going to buy this company. And I think that's... They, I think he paid like 40 mil and it's thrown off like a billion dollars. I don't know, 100 billion dollars 100 million dollars of dividends you know i think that's where some of that comes from mm, mm. side hustle can become your main hustle really yep and when you're 20 that's a great time to do it fred shabester thank you so much for coming on the podcast but before we sign off i just wanted to present you with some spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> my wife's <laughs> handmade lemon zest pasta because i know you're a big fan of that's true we lived on uh, spaghetti as a in building our business feel it's you're you you're touching my soul right now thank you there you go that's- oh wow signed with free <laughs> <laughs> just to give everyone the perspective it's it looks like incredibly handmade it's the exact kind of thing i'm totally into I feel a lot of love from this and yeah, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. That's so funny. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> Thank you very much. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 